media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Revelation 21. I think some of you can relate. This morning I'm battling a little bit of the allergies of the fall, so... uh, if I have to cough a little bit, please forgive me for that. But I am glad that when Jeff got up here with the kids and said that uh, that this was inspired, the song that they selected was inspired by uh, Lucy singing a song. There's another song, Allison, that she does sing from time to time. And uh, I was going, okay, is this the one that they're they're singing? This girl is on fire. Uh, <laughs> Because she sings this girl is on fire quite a bit. And I'm going, okay, did Jeff know that this may not be appropriate if they, so I'm glad that he went with this other song that she sings this morning. Uh, Revelation 21, we've uh, to kind of bring you up to date uh, with where we have uh, come. Uh, we try to get this picture of heaven. One of the biggest things that we have uh, is this desire to know not only what we're going to do in heaven, but what is heaven going to be like and what will our bodies be like. And, and this is probably the most descriptive word that we have in all the Bible of what heaven might look like. And even then, it's very brief. It really doesn't go into a lot of different, you know, uh, details, but it gives us enough to, I hope, bring some excitement to our heart. But at the same time, as we've said almost every week that we've been in Revelation 21, one of the challenges that we have is to know what parts of Revelation are intentionally to be symbolic in nature and which ones are to be literal in nature. And that's why you have all these different opposing views. And, and maybe opposing is kind of a strong word there because it's not, not so much that they're opposing one another as they're just different reflections of how to interpret Scripture and especially in Revelation. Is this literal? Is this symbolic? This morning as we go into Revelation 21, we're going to talk about uh, the size of heaven. Let me go ahead and give you the three things. The size of heaven, the shape of heaven, the substance of heaven. It's really kind of simplistic as we break that down. And we come upon a place where God is showing John through this angel uh, this majestic place. Uh, Start with me there in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Remember that from last week? The church, the redeemed people. Okay. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me in the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Okay, now he describes heaven as a holy city. And remember last week we said that's one of the dilemmas that we have. Okay, what is heaven? Is it a holy city, a place, or is it the bride of Christ, a people? Do you remember the answer from last week? At least my answer. It doesn't have to be your answer, but what I believe is scripture. That it's both. That somehow, well, how can it be a people be a place and a place be a people? And we use the example of how the Bible uses the city of Babylon. Babylon was a real place, but at the same time, it was typical and used oftentimes in the Bible to talk about people that oppose the things of God. And so when we think about heaven, it is a people. It is a place, I believe. And it's that incorporated, but it's all about the glory of God. 
If you really want to sum up what is heaven like in the most simplistic of ways, it is all about the glory of God. But here's our problem. What do we really know about the glory of God? Except for what God has spoken through his word and really what we kind of get a little bit of inference to None of us have ever experienced the full glory of God. You have like Moses in the Old Testament where he goes up and he receives the Ten Commandments and remember, even though he couldn't see the fullness of the glory of God, he kind of saw the backside of the glory of God. And even, you know, the, the three disciples that went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ when he was transfigured and they saw a part of his glory there. And, and what did the disciples say? We should stay right here. Did they explain what the glory of God looked like? No, we saw that it was brilliant. We saw that we associated it with this great bright light. But, but you and I really get, we really can't say, okay, what does the glory of God, you know, what does that mean, like from head to toe? What does that mean internally? And yet this morning, I think one of the greatest things that we could do, maybe just to, to see in our little BB sized brains, is comparison. Have you ever been, in church, or a time of worship, and there was a song playing, and you were singing that song, whether out loud or, or kind of singing along with it, and it was like, oh my goodness, this is like what heaven must be like. I mean, if you took a little five-second clip of just your emotions, your physical joy, everything about that moment, you're going, okay, this is like a little taste of heaven. Well, guess what? That is a little taste of heaven. If you've ever had one of those moments, you're going, my goodness, I can just go right now. I'm so longing to be with God in that worship. I believe that you did get a little taste of the glory of God. And that's a challenge for us, though, because what does it really mean? Well, this morning we begin to look at three qualities of heaven. And at first it may seem like they're very characteristic of things rather than the glory of God. I promise you they're all about the glory of God. The the final answer of the question will be, the glory of God. Heaven is the glory of God. And we get to be there. And yet we see these things. God begins to describe to us a size, and a shape, and even the substance that we found there. And all of these things start pointing back to the, the things that we've seen before in, in the previous verses. And it begins to talk about, like we did last week, the foundations and walls. You know, a, a place And remember last week we said that in Hebrews it said that Abraham, what kind of person was Abraham? Kind of a nomad in the sense that God said, leave this place and go to this place. And so he had to dwell in tents. And we said that the body is described biblically as right now we're in these earthly tents. And so in one way we're kind of a nomadic people. How many of y'all have ever built a house before and said, this is our forever home? And then it wasn't. How many of y'all have ever done that? Have you ever done it? You said, man, this is going to be our forever home. And then three years later, five years later, ten years later, fifteen years later, it wasn't your forever home. But we know what you meant. Hey, I love this house so much. This could be my forever home. It's got everything that we would ever want. And then for whatever reason, it becomes a place that, that you don't want anymore. Not so much because of the house, but maybe because, like in the situation with Carly and I, where are the grandkids? You know, that you kind of want to move toward family. And so all of a sudden that forever home, you found out wasn't forever. Well, this is our forever home. 
And yet we can really understand what Hebrews is talking about, that it said Abraham was waiting for a city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's our desire. I pray that it's your desire this morning because this is going to be our forever home. So how big is heaven? If you had to describe to somebody how big heaven is, what kind of words do you think that you would use? And, and that's actually not a rhetorical question. It can be one that you can respond. Well, just to name a word or kind of shout out a word that you think that you would use to describe the size of heaven, not just you know, the, the glory of heaven, but the size of heaven. Amen. Immense. Very good. Keep the thesaurus going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, infinite. So in one way, it can't be contained, right? And yet today we're going to see that dimensions are given. Now, again, that's where we'd go back. Are these symbolic? Are these literal? And, and there's a lot of great theologians on both sides of those choices. Some that would say, hey, because of the dimensions given and talking about how he used uh, the angel used the dimensions of man and the standard of man, hey, we can trust these words. That would be kind of John MacArthur, where he comes from, great theologian. He says, okay, these are talking about dimensions. Not that this is the entirety of heaven, but this is the new Jerusalem. Others would say, no, this is symbolic. No way that it's really this big or this, that, and the other, but this is symbolic because it uses the number 12 a lot. And what did we say about the number 12? Number 12 in the Bible usually represents God's administration, his government, his order, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel, Shows his completeness, his connection with man and his order in our world. So with that in mind, let's look what it says. Revelation 21, starting with verse 14. (coughs) And the wall of the city had how many foundations? Twelve foundations. We start to see this number. And on them were twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Now that's what the ESV says. If you have a different translation, it's going to use a lot of other forms of measurement. They all kind of mean the same thing. (coughs) Its length and its width and height are equal. He also measured its walls. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So what do we know from that? Okay, he starts measuring, you know, the the width and the height and, you know, how big heaven is. And and he comes down with this 12,000 stadia. Well, more than likely, you don't measure a lot of things in your life by stadia or by other versions that we might see. In biblical times, we use yards and miles and feet and inches and different things like that. So what does that kind of equate to? Well, before we get into that, let me be clear that I I think it's very important for us to understand that John is, thank you so, so much, that John is not so much asking, hey, what is the size of this? The angel comes and and he sees this heaven, this vision of heaven, And John's question isn't, how big is this place? No, the angel is the one that's offering this information. It's the angel that's going out and measuring it. Now, now why is that important? I I think it's because 
John is not asking or seeking, but God is informing. And one of the things that God does, he informs for a purpose, and that purpose is for comfort, for joy, for direction in our lives. And I think that's why we have it here today. Will it really be this size? I don't know. Is this size big enough for all believers? If the church really is going to be there, all the redeemed people from all the ages, is heaven going to be big enough? It's kind of like when we come back and say, okay, how big is our mansion going to be? And it's really such a, it's a, it's a wrong question. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But number one, the best interpretation of the word back in John, when Jesus used some translations say mansion, really isn't talking about mansions. It's talking about that we're going to be in the presence of God. We're going to have a home. And so some translations say mansions. Guys, don't worry about the size of your mansion. You're going to be with God. And I promise you that even right now, we're going, okay, I want a big one, or I want to... When we get there, it's not going to matter. And yet, we have a size here. And it says that it's measured by a rod of gold. You can go back to Ezekiel 34. Uh, we don't have time this morning to go all the way back and look at that. But back in the Old Testament, we see some connection there with a gold rod used for measuring. And so God continues this. And it says that it's 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also the angel's measurement. In other words, we can understand, they understood how big this was, and it made sense to them when they read this. If it was in yards or feet or miles, it would make sense to us. So let's transfer this over to miles as best as we can. How big is 12,000 stadia? Best estimates that we have, it's anywhere between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. So the, the length of this city is 1,400, 1,500 miles. The width of this city is 1,400, 1,500 miles. The height of this city is 1,400, 1,500 miles. Uh, to put that in kind of perspective, anybody ever been to Boulder, Colorado? No. It's roughly 1,400, 1,500 miles. Okay? That's a pretty long way from Atlanta, isn't it? If you've driven that before, you would say that it's a very long way. Okay, so let's take this measurement from Atlanta to Boulder, Colorado, and we're going to say, okay, heaven, as John's seeing it here, is that wide, that long, and, and that deep, if you want to use that, or that high. Is it a big place? It's a really big place, especially when you take in height. And we're going to talk about the shape of that in just a little bit, and why would that be significant? But when we begin to see that, folks, that's huge. Is that enough room for everybody in heaven? Yes. And this is probably, again, I think that heaven is going to be immense. I don't know that this is the full containing of heaven. This is just the city that John has revealed to him. Why? So that he can see that it has a foundation. It has walls. Would that have been really, really important to people back in biblical times? Would it be really important to us? Since we kind of live somewhat, as we said last week, a nomadic lifestyle. We're kind of all over the place. To know that there's this home, this place where we will be with the God and see his glory. From here to Boulder, Colorado, in every direction, high and low. That excites you? 
Or does it kind of confound you? All of a sudden, is measurements really important? I mean, we're, we're inquisitive people. We want to know, okay, what are we going to be doing and how big is it and, you know, all these different details. Now, you, you find out at least these details that are given by God in his word, whether symbi- symbi- uh, symbolically or, or literally, but even if we take them literally at this point, does that just overwhelm you? Does that excite you? Or is that, okay, that's a fact. That's data. But where, where do you go with that, guys? Now that you have data that would satisfy some of the questions we have, how big is heaven? Does that bring joy to your heart as much as the song that we sang right before we got up here? How great thou art. Which one brings you more joy? I mean, honestly, to you, it, I, I'm not presupposing the answer that you might have. Heaven is all about the glory of God. In fact, that, that you and I would be able to exist in the presence of God in all of his fullness without sin, without complication, without guilt, without shame, without reserve. That's the exciting part of heaven. And yet, we get interested in these things, but once we get the data, what happens to that data? It just becomes data. Does that make sense? Your, your faces are looking like, we don't know where you're going with this, Pastor. I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, it's, uh, I really am just trying to make one simple point. With all these questions, and one of the questions could be, how big is heaven? We get some data and we find out it's immense, it's huge, it's bigger than we can imagine. And yet, once we get that data, is there some satisfaction in your soul besides just the data point in your head? It's all about the glory of God. Now, this is important because I don't believe that God would show this to John. Somehow, he wants us to have this data. I mean, look at verse 17. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also the angel's angels measurement. Okay? (coughs) Again, we don't use cubits this day. And... um, how if we transfer that to feet or miles or something like that, it would be 216 feet thick. It's kind of our best. In, you know, these walls set upon these foundations, 216 feet thick. That's pretty impressive. I mean, you have these walls around there. Now, now these walls are not for protection. Back in the Old Testament times, and even in the New Testament times, walls were very, very important. Because they were invading countries. And so you would build a wall around you, and then you would have gates to come in or go out. And what would you do with the gates at night? You'd close them. Starts to get dark, you close the gate. So that you could feel like you're protected. Morning comes, if you don't see that there's any adversaries out there, what do you do? You open the gate, and people can come in and out. Well, the Bible tells us here that these gates are not going to be closed. There's gates, and there's foundations, and there's walls, but it's not for protection. There's nothing to protect from. The gates are open all the time anyway. Look at verse 24 and 25. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. The whole purpose of gates and walls, protection, 
Keep the bad out. Keep us safe and protected. And there's not a need for that. So why does God tell us about walls? Well, possibly because there is some human understanding there, but a place of permanence, structure. And we said last week, for a nomadic people who are living now in earthly tents, there's a permanence of heaven. This is your forever home. To me, the first time you're ever going to be able to say, this is our forever home, and really be able to keep your word at that. So that's the size. Well, what about its shape? Look at, again at verse 16. The city lies at four square, its length and it's uh, the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, the length and width, and what? Height are equal. And so if you take something that is this wide, this long, but it's also that, what, um, what did that make? A cube. Now, is, is that important here? Some would say that it made a pyramid. Some people think that. I, I think not. I don't think that it's set up like a pyramid. Uh, we usually don't see pyramids too associated with the things of God, but usually the things that kind of are not got like, I think it's pretty specific here that this is a cube. Now, why is that really important? And this is where it gets really, really crazy, okay? A little bit crazy. There are many great theologians that you've put a lot of trust in, and you're going, man, I like R.C. Sproul. I like this person. I like that person. You, you have, a, And there's many of those theologians who are well-grounded in Scripture that says that one of the elements of our life in heaven is that just as freely as you and I go left and right right now, that we'll go up and down. Find that in Scripture? I can't find it in Scripture. That's just kind of a theory that they have. What do we make of that? Besides being fascinated by that. I mean, I get a little George Jetson kind of mindset, a little backpack, you know. That's about as close as I can get to... The more data we get, is it interesting to you? Is it satisfying down deep in the soul to you? I'm not going to say no to that, but it becomes a data point. Until we begin to see, is there significance to the size and the shape? We begin to see that all of a sudden this cube has been mentioned before in the Bible. This cube shape. Remember a few weeks ago that I said that heaven in many ways is like you and I will exist in the Holy of Holies. And in the tabernacle and then in the temple when they built the temple, there was the holy place. And then if you went a little bit farther, there's this veil. And behind that veil is what? The Holy of Holies. And this was symbolic of the the, the presence of God. And remember, priests, the high priest could go in there one time a year and had bells on so that if the bell stopped, you're going, haven't heard a bell. I think he might be dead. And they had tied a cord and they could pull him out. A lot of precaution there. Well, what's in that holy of holies? What does that represent? The glory of God. And right now, we know that earthly speaking, we're not really prepared for the glory of God in this human tent. But there we will be. 
Go back to 1 Kings. Are you going to just read it up here, trying to find 1 Kings this morning? It may be a little bit challenging <coughs> in an instant. But look what it says, 1 Kings 6. Now, this is talking about the, the temple of Solomon. Remember, Solomon, David wasn't able to build the temple. So his son then was instructed to build it. And part of the building of the temple was like the tabernacle that kind of was going to places. Now there's this permanent place within the temple where there was the holy place and then the holy of holies. Look what it says. First Kings chapter 6, verse 19. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house was set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. What usually went into the holy of holies? The ark of the covenant. Okay, so it's talking about the Holy of Holies. Now look what it says. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide. And get this, 20 cubits high. And he overlaid it with pure gold. He was all, it was also, uh, he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Are we just kind of straining to try to make something significant out of this? Or in the majesty of God, do you think that God throughout his word is connecting Genesis to Revelation and, and Exodus to, to James and, and that this integration of the story of God throughout the word of God is all one story that God is telling us? Perhaps one of the most freeing things in my adult Christian life as I have been discipled and as I've tried to learn and read is the simple understanding that the word of God what we call the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is one story. And when we start breaking it down to Old Testament and, and New Testament, there, there's purpose for that if we want to kind of understand Old Covenant and New Covenant. And when we break down this part and that part, sometimes there's a purpose for that. But the more that we can see the Word of God revealed as one story, we're going to see integration, guys. And one of the most exciting things about my Christian life is that the deeper I dig into God's Word, guess what I find? Underneath, the more I dig, I don't find disconnect, I find connect. I believe this is one of those places. The Holy of Holies. 20 cubits high, 20 cubits long, 20 cubits high. The only other place that I know of that we find in the Bible, a cube. And now... John is looking at the shape of heaven as described and measured by the angel. John's not out there going, hey, can you hold this? And pulling, the angel is doing it and he's giving this data and we see this cube. Now again, to go with some of those who are making speculation, is that so that we can all be kind of George Jetson and we can fly up and down and all around and it's just going to be fun. I, I would rather go with this. And you're so free to disagree with me. But what I see here is God, again, saying, hey, this cube, it's kind of like the cube back in the Temple of Solomon. It represents me, the holy of holy place. And that's what heaven is. And you get to be there. And you don't have to have bells on your cloak and they don't have to tie a, you know, nobody's going to tie a rope. I don't believe, I can't find any scripture that says, okay, Cresha, they're going to tie a, a, a rope on your leg just in case 
You get there and they find out, ah, you weren't supposed to be here, and they're going to pull you out. Okay. Don't see that happening. We making much out of nothing? Or is God revealing this because He wants us to get not data, but He wants us to get the essence of heaven, which is all about His glory? Let's go to the last part, the substance of heaven. The easiest way to describe this is simply that the redeemed people continually get to be with God. John is given a vision that is hard for us to even imagine, even with our BB-sized brains and capacity to understand. (coughs) But look at verses 18 through 21. And if anybody says, oh, Bobby, I think you messed up that word of that jewel next week, Feel free to come up here and you can read scripture for us, okay? Verse 18, Revelation 21, 18, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Or amethyst. And, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each of the gates made a single pearl, and the streets and the city were pure gold like transparent glass. Now some of these stones, we don't even know what they were. Many of those, like when you read of a, an, a um, topaz, we kind of have some reflection. But do you notice that it talked about when it talked about gold? What was one of the descriptions that it gave to gold? It's pure as glass. Now, right now, can you see through gold? No, but, but here somehow it's, you can almost, it's just almost transparent. What's it trying to tell us there? The purity level? I think there's a lot of things that we can get here. As we can imagine the beauty of heaven, here we begin to see these rare and precious stones adorning the walls and gates of heaven. They're various colors, but most of them have this common characteristic that they reflect reflect, and, and reflect light. I mean, have you ever seen a diamond? A really beautiful diamond? And in one way, it takes the light and it reflects it, but also internally it kind of refracts it. Does that make sense? And you're going, wow, look at the beauty of that. Or some other gem that you have. One of the common characteristics we see with kind of this thing is that they're reflecting and refracting light here. Even the gold, it says, is like clear glass. And again, this is where you have to be really, really careful. Because there have been some that have made a chart of this. And they said, okay, each one of these jewels, here's what it represents. And you've got to be really, really careful with that. Some of that is going to connect. Other times we are just, who are we to say when God didn't say, this is what it means. Cornelian stands for this. We have to be really careful with that. And, and there are people much, much, much wiser and smarter than me that have made charts. Here's what I know. In my simple, BB-sized childlike faith. I think of this and I read this and I I come to one conclusion, guys. I come to one conclusion. Wow. I know, very theological, right? Very deep. Wow. 
Is there any significance that these gems and stones reflect this light? I think so. Remember it said in verse 23, And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God giveth its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. God is, he's filling all of this space. Even though there's, there's special uh, gems and, and there's these precious stones over here in their own gates and, and the walls and, and all this and all these colors. Unlike anything that you could ever imagine. And what it all comes back to is the glory of God, the light of God fills this. And I can only imagine this rainbow sense that we get when we're there. The beauty of that. Let me take a step further. Again, this is the point where I'm going to say this is my belief. This is my understanding of Scripture and wrestling with Scripture. It doesn't have to be yours. But remember at the beginning of this, we said that in one place, this heaven was called the Bride of Christ, a people. And then in the next verse, it says, okay, it's this place. My understanding is that it's both. Well, Bobby, that's confusing. No, think about this. Folks, when we're in the presence of holy God, that there's a unity there. I'm not saying that we become God. I'm not saying that we are gods. But I am saying this. The fullness of God so impacts our life that we become very God-like in, in the way that we act and think and respond. Not, not the position of God. I truly believe that that would be heresy. There's but one God. But my little BB brain cannot even begin to... If, if he's talking about how this is a city and all these stones, is it possibly that, that we are kind of like these stones? And what did Jesus say? You are like a light set up on a hill and I want you to let your light shine could this be the fullness of that guys that somewhere in glory in the very presence of the glory of God that light is so emanating from his glory and we're in the immenseness of that glory that there's a light shining on us just as it would be in these precious stones I mean, you don't have to go there theologically if you don't want to. I'm just, I'm trying to capture what the text is saying. I'm trying to kind of go back and say, okay, how do we remedy this when he says, okay, the, the heaven is the bride of Christ, but it's also this place. My little BB-sized brain cannot continue. But what I, I do believe is that somehow the fullness of this charge that we have to be the light of Christ It's going to be in the fullness because we're going to be in the fullness of God's presence. Does that make sense? And if you have disagreement with that or you'd like to talk about that or if you know that was heretical, please, please, I I offer you that opportunity to come. I'm just saying, as I study the Word of God, this is how overwhelmed I am. Could God have done everything in black and white? Could God have done everything in primary colors? 
So God added a few pastel colors just to kind of blow our mind. And yet, do you think that your eyes and my eyes have ever conceived the beauty of the spectrum of colors that we will see in heaven? Foretaste, guys. All we have right now is a foretaste. Can you imagine? I mean, that's what I think Isaiah says. When, when, if you go back to Isaiah, when he's in the throne room of God, and that's not even equating that to heaven. That was the throne room of God. This is a different place. This is a new heaven. Now, now it is bigger than life. I can't imagine the number of colors that we will see. How many of y'all remember, you're of the dark ages, and you remember when TV was black and white? And what was like the coolest thing that happened? Hey, come over to the house. I got color. It's like these people really have skin tones and they have this and there's a redhead and there's a blonde and there's a this and there's that. And all of a sudden we could see that, you know, there was green trees. How many of y'all remember when we went from kind of like getting the satellite, you know, or the, the, um, the, the scene on the TV over the air and then all of a sudden there was cable. And you went up to like, you know, this new definition. I remember the day that I got my dad a, a TV and, and he loved football, he loved sports. And I got him a, a new, when it came out, the 1080i. Hooked it up in his man's cave. It was before they even had man's cave, but dad was a pioneer. And so I, I, I put it up there and okay, this is where you're going to, you know. And we're watching that football game. And I'll never forget it. He's hitting me on the shoulder and I'm hitting him on the shoulder. And we're watching this. It's like we're sitting in the stands, isn't it, Dad? Well, now there's 4K. And there's going to be all these other developments. Where does it end? Right here, guys. Right here. The glory of God. Displayed in color, displayed in majesty, displayed in all these different things. Do I understand it fully? No. All I know is I thirst for this. I long to be in this place. Why? Because it's really beautiful and there's all these colors. No, because I begin to sense that this is what it's going to be like to be in the face and the glory of our God. These are stats. These are, this is data. But what does this data represent? The glory of God. And, and how do we know that? Well, look at this last part, the last part this morning. You've got walls, you have gates, you have people. You have all these different things. I mean, what, what is the substance of heaven? What, what is the substance of heaven? Revelation 21, 24 through 26. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Well, if heaven is all about the glory of God, then then why are kings bringing their glory into it? And what does it mean that the nations are bringing their glory into it? I I believe that the the proper interpretation of that is they're coming in in the... if you want to say submitting that glory, well, what does that mean in practical terms? That there's amazing equality in the kingdom of God. Uh, think about this, guys. How many of you earned the right to be saved? 
pretty level playing ground. And part of the hope of that, instead of being kind of uninspired by that, let's be inspired by that. How many of y'all were closer to the cross because of the way that you lived your life than other people that were so dead in their sin that they were a long way from the cross? You know, the Bible has one description for us, for the most part. One prevailing description of us, pre-Christ. Dead. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there a kind of dead? A lot more dead? Completely stinking dead. Basically, if you're dead, you're what? You're dead. Pretty level ground there at dead, right? Life and death. And spiritually speaking, we were all dead in our sins. And Christ gave us life. Here in the fullness of this life, when it talks about the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, I don't believe that they're going to say, there, okay, I was the king of this place, the king of that place, And so where's my mansion? I think that's where we get it completely wrong. I think what we begin to see here is they come in and in the presence of holy God, there's the simplicity of our salvation. That there really is kind of this equal status. Now, does that mean that we will not be known as we were known? That somehow all of a sudden there's not ethnicity, if there's not this and that? I don't know. I can promise you this though, guys. I can promise you this. There won't be Republicans and Democrats. And I do not say that to be funny. I say that because it's nothing but dividing. It's nothing but it, it estranges us from one another. There'll be no rich, no poor. There won't be educated, non-educated. There won't be bulldogs and gators. There'll be the people of God reflecting the glory of God. In the presence of God, reflecting the glory of God. Julia, I skipped over this, but can you go back to to Exodus? I I do want to kind of leave on this. Remember in the Old Testament, Moses goes up. (laughs) He gets the the Ten Commandments. I almost said Twelve Commandments. I don't know where that, because we've been talking about Twelve. I almost said Twelve Commandments. Uh, But it's Ten Commandments, okay? He gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down. And remember what he looked like? He's kind of glowing. And we see different times in the Old Testament where things are kind of glowing with what, you won't find this word in the Bible, the Shekinah glory of God. The, the glory of God kind of surrounded it. Look what it says, Exodus 34, 29 through 30. We'll, we'll end in this. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. And I see this glowing guy. Look at Moses, what's up? This wasn't just like you'd been to the spa and you have this little glow. This isn't, okay, you're five months pregnant and you have the glow. Those are wonderful glows. He'd been in the presence of God, the glory of God. 
And this Shekinah, what we call, again, man's word, not, not a biblical word. The Shekinah glory of God. Because he simply had been in the presence of this glory. And he had not even seen it in full. And yet there's a light. Folks, this light is not the hope of heaven. God is the hope of heaven. And yet in his presence, I I don't know how it's all going to work out. I just know this. That all of a sudden the size and the shape and the substance of this heaven all come down to one thing and one thing alone. The glory of God. And while I may not have in my humanness right now this tremendous thirst for the glory of God, I promise you there, away from sin, away from this tent that we presently live in, everything about this place and this description and this God gives me a thirst to where I truly can say with all my heart, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to finish the job that you've given me to do But God, I can't wait to be there in this really big place, in this place that's like a cube, in this place with all the colors. I can't wait to be with you. Let's pray. Father, how overwhelming it is to try to preach this, Father. Not just because there's a lot of different opinions about what these verses mean, but Father... Even if I was a thousand percent sure of what was symbolic and what is literal and what to, to gain from each thing, Father, I would still have this little BB-sized brain trying to comprehend your glory. So, Father, when you start saying 1,500 miles high and wide and deep, when you start giving us perhaps an indication that this is symbolic of the Holy of Holies because it's your dwelling place. When we begin to think about there will be no other people of glory there except for the glory that you have given us, Father. No human standards of kings and queens, rich and poor. But Father, that you will give us an equality because each person will be found fully in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. Father, will you excite our hearts as much as we can understand this morning? And Father, as we close this morning and we sing once again, how great thou art. Father, will you give us kind of, somehow when we sing this song, Father, will you give us some human understanding? And I would even ask, Father, something beyond that only your spirit can give, just an understanding that one day we might be singing this very song around your throne and the fullness of the words that we sing, Father, will come to every fiber of our being because we will be in the presence of holy God. And your glory will reflect and fill all of heaven and us. And the Shekinah glory that Aaron, the other saw on Moses' face. Father, that, that, that would be like a one one millionth of the glory that would be seen in all the peoples and the bride of Christ in heaven. 
you're redeemed. Father, make us anxious for this day. But while we're here, Father, let us sing of you, worship you, and train our mind more and more to biblically think, truly, how great thou art. We pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.